This is episode 70 and the season four finale of ActorCast with Christopher Barron. Welcome to ActorCast, the podcast that broadcasts the work, advice, and insight of actors, writers, directors, producers, and other industry experts in show business. I'm your host, Patrick McAndrew. Sit back, take notes, and enjoy the show. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to the season four finale of ActorCast. Thank you so much for tuning in, where you are learning the latest and greatest from some of the entertainment industry's greatest experts. It has been an amazing season with you all, and I'm so excited for you to be joining me on this journey, as I too am learning from all the experts that I have on the show. We are ending season four with an amazing guest today. He is a wealth of knowledge, and he was so open and willing to share so much with us today for our season finale. His name is Christopher Barrett, and Christopher was the CEO and president of Metropolitan Talent Agency until 2017. A 35-year veteran in the industry, Barrett has experience in all aspects of entertainment, from theater and television production to digital media, and is showing the way forward to many of his clients. Chris began his career as a performer, and though he enjoyed the success of working with the likes of Liza Minnelli under the direction of Martin Scorsese, Chris began to feel there were broader horizons for him to explore in show business. He accepted his first job as an agent with the Los Angeles office of the J. Michael Bloom Agency, and within the next seven years, Barrett moved to take sole control of his own company, which in 1989 ultimately evolved into what is now known as Metropolitan Talent Agency. Christopher also has gone on to become a producer and executive producer on a wide variety of different projects, and he currently resides in Los Angeles. There is so much to unpack in this episode, and as I mentioned before, I think it is a great send-off for Season 4 of ActorCast. We talk about Christopher's early career as a performer and what inspired him to pursue a career in entertainment. We also talk about that switch, that career change that he made and from being a performer and becoming a talent agent. We talk about some of the common trends that he has seen throughout his 30 plus years in the entertainment industry among actors who book roles as well as those who don't often book. And lastly, we discuss the future of the entertainment industry. Christopher has some amazing insights into where the industry is going and how you as listeners can take action in your careers or course correct based on his advice. If you like this episode, head to actorcast.fm and leave us a review. Let us know your thoughts. When you leave us a review, it is a huge help in spreading awareness about the show. So, without further ado, let me please introduce today's guest of ActorCast, Christopher Barron. Hello, everybody, and welcome to ActorCast. I am so excited for our guest today. We have Christopher Barrett joining us on the show. 
Chris, thanks so much for being here today. It's completely my pleasure. Happy to be with you. I'm so excited to have you on this show. We had the opportunity to get connected through a mutual friend of ours, Marty Katz. Just having the opportunity to chat with you on the phone and hear your insights through your long career in the entertainment industry. It's such valuable information. And after our conversation, once we got to the end of it, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I have to have him on ActorCast just to share his story, to share his thoughts on the entertainment industry. So I can't thank you enough for being here. Oh, to me, it's a privilege to be given the opportunity to talk to your audience. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm wondering if we could start off um, maybe just by sharing a little bit about yourself. I know that you started out your career in the entertainment industry as a performer. What was it that initially inspired you to get involved in show business? It's my, my career is a series of almost accidents. When I was seven years old, I was put in television in New York City, where I was born and raised, on a couple different shows. One was called Juvenile Jury, and the other one was called Star Time Kids. And these things happened to me. They approached my family. They asked me to be in it, and my family said, okay. And the next thing I knew, I was shooting these different shows, and I was often running in show business before I knew what happened to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> so did you continue that trajectory while you were young and still in school? Like, was that yes. something that, that you developed a deep passion for right away? I don't know the answer to that. I definitely was enjoying it. I mean, they were picking me up in a limousine and driving me to the studio and feeding <laughs> me breakfast. And I was had tutors on the set and they were pretty cool. And it was fun being on these different shows. And, uh, and it grew into sort of a passion to learn how to be a good actor. And, a, um, and I was a singer and a dancer as well. So oh, wow. I, I, did, I did musicals and I wound up doing quite a bit of Broadway and off-Broadway and stuff around the country. And I did it up until I was 32 years old. And much of it I absolutely loved. I mean, opening in a Broadway show that Martin Scorsese directed and Liza Minnelli starred in at the Majestic Theater wow. on 44th Street in Manhattan, it's... It's, it's the sort of thing you'll never forget. That's incredible. So when you got to that point, what was that experience like? It was, I remember the opening night, my character in the act was Lenny Cantor. I opened the show. I played a really not very good stand-up comedian. But as I was doing my bit, latecomers were coming in to sit down in, in the theater because there was Liza and Martin and, Halston did the costumes. It was quite something. So down the aisle came Nelson Rockefeller, Andy Warhol. As I was doing my opening series of jokes, I was watching these, you know, people of our era walk in front of me. Now, remember, before I made my entrance, I had to leap into a spotlight and run down stage center and get on the apron. Uh, my heart was beating as I was waiting, like it was going to explode out of my chest. And I said to myself, why am I doing this to myself? And then afterwards, when we did the show and we all, the curtain came down, I remember thinking to myself, this is why I, I put myself through it. And it was, you know, 
it was an absolutely extraordinary experience, not just that performance, but the whole endeavor. And frankly, all the endeavors that I was involved in. The creative people I worked with, I was so lucky to know them and meet them and learn from them. And I, I remember when I came out to California, I was cast in a series of episodes on a show called Harry O that starred David Jansing. The director of my first episode, he was screaming at me throughout the episode, big guy with the beard. And I couldn't understand why he was screaming, he kept screaming. Everything I did was not acceptable to him. So after a few moments, Jansen looked over and he was really the king of the show, said, let's take 10. And everybody went off the merry ways and he turned to me and he had looked me straight in the eye and he said, forget that son of a bitch, he's an asshole. You're gonna be here for a bunch of episodes. He's never gonna be here again. And he said, oh, by the way, you see that light over there? I said, yes, Mr. Jansen. He said, that's your key light. So make sure you're in the key light so your mama can see your face. <laughs> oh, that's so I met some very kind, I met some very kind people, some crazy people, some crazy experiences and good and bad, all of it. It was, you know, I did it from seven to 32, Wow. 25 years. That's between amazing. acting and modeling and commercials and soap operas and a lot of theater, some film, some TV. So I watched the technological changes that were going on. Even at that time, I lived through it. And I mean, to tell you those stories would take up your podcast. We don't. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, even just hearing about some of these people that you've worked with and also, too, that you've worked in a lot of different facets within the entertainment industry as well. I've worked in television, theater. What was it then that inspired you to make the jump into being a talent agent? Because you ha had a very successful career as an actor doing a wide variety of different things. Was it that you were looking for something different? What was kind of that impetus that made you decide on that switch? I think my life force was dictating that I had spent my time as an artist and that was good. There was nothing wrong with that, but that it was now time for me to spend my life on a different pursuit. And this life force kind of pushed me. It wasn't that I was disgruntled or unhappy, but there seemed to be something else I needed, something that was not there. And I think to some degree is my life as an actor was a series of people saying, yes, you may come to work or yes you may go to this audition it was never me going i'm going to go do this right yeah i mean i wrote scripts and i sold some scripts as well but it was still people saying yes we're willing to allow you to have these purchased so i called my then agent michael bloom he had an office on the east coast and the west coast and it was a good little agency and i told him i was going to quit and he said, well, that you can't do that. You're, it doesn't make any sense. He said, well, come on up here to the office and we'll talk about it. So I went up there. We talked about it. He became convinced I was resolute. And then he said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't really know what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay in the media business and show business because I know people and it would be foolish to just ignore that history. He said, well, why don't you come be an assistant here? while you're figuring it out and i said really he said yeah i'll pay you 225 a week 
and wow. you'll be an assistant. And I said, well, okay. So I showed up for work the following day and I wasn't a assistant. I was the assistant <laughs> for, for like six people. And six weeks later, I became an agent and wow. he made me an agent. And there's a crazy story to that as well. And then less than six months after that, and there's a crazy story to that as well, I became a partner, a full partner in, a, in the agency that became Metropolitan Talent Agency, which I wound up being the exclusive owner of. Wow. And many of these things kind of happened to me more than I happened to it. But when I became an agent and was really doing it properly, I was able to do what I wanted to do, which is represent artists I really loved, loved their work, and would be eager to talk about these artists. And I was able to put together movies and TV shows, which were remunerative to all of us, and creatively, it's so fulfilling to put things together. So I was doing what I wanted to do, put things together, work with artists I believe in, make a living doing it, support my family. And uh, I was lucky. I had, I was able to do that. Extremely lucky. Was there a specific switch that happened when you went from being an actor? Or I guess I should ask, what was that change like? Did it take a long time to adjust? Did you find that that change was pretty natural for you? What was that that change process like? It was extremely natural. There was no period of adjustment. It's like I had landed where I was supposed to be. And being an assistant to six agents is not a fun trip. <laughs> it's, you know, you're imagine. working around the clock. Yeah. And uh, but I, I learned so much and I studied so much. And back then we used to have these stacks of files, you know, file cabinets this is 1982. So I had to I realized I had to understand the legalese of show business to succeed. So I'd stay late every night and I read every contract in the stacks, everyone, day players, run of the picture players, screenplays that were sold, novels that were sold. I studied them all. And then I realized that for me to succeed, I needed to be the answer to every question, even before the question was asked. So I, I made a point of having a volume of knowledge, current and historical, available to me instantly. And that kind of dedication to knowing stuff was natural to me and easy for me. I was a good student generally, and it, it helped me. When I was in college, I took a couple law school classes at New York Law, which is associated with Pace University, where I graduated. I had no idea why I did it. And people who knew me had no idea why. My family had no idea why. I had no sense of why I did it. All those years later, though, when I ran an agency, Having ha had a couple years of law classes was really super valuable. Wow. So events just happened in the right way. Yeah, it's kind of like your future self was looking out for you in some way when you were back in college. It's true. 
It's true. When I was in college, I had to go to col this other college for events that happened elsewhere. And it was late in the summer and I had to get accepted someplace quickly. So I called up Pace University and the ch spoke to the chairman of the department. And we met and he, we, he and I made a deal that if I created, I pitched him the idea that Pace University should have Pace Repertory Company and use the plays that they're doing on this beautiful main stage they just built in a sort of condensed form, not the text, but the scenery, et cetera, and take it around for free to the uh, schools in the metropolitan area. Wow. And I laid out a plan to do that. And he said, well, yep, that sounds good. Why don't we do that? And I'll give you, I think it was 10 credits that the school paid for. I had to have 15 per quarter to graduate. So they paid for 10, which was, you know, fabulous. And so I created and ran for two years while I was there, the Pace Repertory Company. So I had no idea that that was a precursor to running um, a really significant world-class agency, but it was. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, I'm sure it's amazing to kind of look back and see how the different things that happened in your life or the different decisions that you made kind of ended up leading to where you're at today and just looking back on this amazing career. I'm wondering, you know, maybe just to kind of dive into your work as an agent a little bit more. So obviously as an agent, you worked with a variety of different actors and talents and you were even just saying before that something that you enjoyed about being an agent was getting to represent the performers that you wanted to represent. I'm wondering for our, our listeners who are tuning in, many of whom are actors, what were some common trends that you saw among the actors, maybe that you were re representing or maybe ones that you weren't? What were common trends that you saw among actors booking work? And then on the flip side of that, what were some trends that you saw maybe with actors who are incredibly talented but for some reason they weren't booking? That's a good question. Um, to me, in order for an actor, maybe anyone to be successful, you have to be given God's talent, you have to have talent, and you have to nourish that talent. You have to have then the character that you can withstand the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune of show business. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you have to have the single most important thing, which is persistence. And persistence is a word that uh, I think is underappreciated. There's a simplicity to it. If you quit, you don't make it. It's certain. But if you persist and you nourish your talent and you have the character to withstand the the problems that happen in our lives, not just in show business, but our lives, then you actually have a, a chance to be successful. And there are a lot of definitions of the word successful. Successful can mean being a big star, like George Clooney became, or Kirstie Alley, who were among my clients. But you don't have to be that big to be successful. There are many actors who you see on TV and films who maybe you don't know their names, but they're making good livings. 
making even six figures, sometimes seven figure incomes. They had natural talent. They nourished that talent. They had the character to, to keep going. And they did keep going. They did persist and develop careers. And remember, there's a bell curve. Uh, at the bottom of the bell curve or at the graph, there are thousands of young actors who were the best looking people and wherever they came from, they were told you should be in pictures. And they've come to LA to do that. And there are a lot of them. And so the competition is huge, but you have to persist because a number of those will simply, unfortunately, drift away for many different reasons. And then as you go up the ladder, the more you persist, the more the competition drops. And frankly, the older you get, the more the competition drops. So each time you're persisting, your chances of success of some sort are enhanced. Wow. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, that makes a lot of sense is that as you grow and progress in your career, time in a lot of ways works for you with regards to the different opportunities that may come your way. And I guess that's something that you saw pretty consistently among perhaps the, the actors that you represented. Absolutely. I, I had, in terms of character actors, I represented people like Jack Weston and Alan Oppenheimer and Vincent Gardenia. And these are people who persisted. And the market for those actors was huge. And maybe they didn't get paid five million or two million or even a million to be in a picture. But they made quite uh, substantial incomes and worked all the time. And I also, we worked with Anthony Quinn, who certainly is an example of someone who persisted. And during the time we were with him, he started all sorts of films like Revenge opposite Kevin Cosner. So he persisted. He also followed other interests that we had a very interesting art career. And I recommend having multiple interests to fill your time between gigs, to, to occupy your mind and express your creativity. Today, the definition of an actor would be different than when I started. Today, an actor should be able to make product, create product, distrib get product distributed, and there's a lot of ways to do that today. I mean, today to be an actor is really, there's so many ways to do it. Yeah, I'm wondering if we could dive into that a little bit more. I, I agree with you. I think that there are so many actors out there that, and I think now more than ever, and partially because it's easier than it ever has been, I think that it's so important for actors to create their own work. What do you think is or, you know, just kind of in your years of experience, is there a right way for actors to create their own work? Is it writing their own play? Is it creating a web series? Is it maybe writing a film? Perhaps all of the above? <laughs> like in, in your in your experience, what do you think are some of the best ways that actors can create their own work? Well, today you don't need to be in Hollywood or New York to make work. Today, you don't have to just be reliant on agents and managers and casting peoples and producers, et cetera, to say you may do your work. It's, it's, uh, you can do it living in Kansas City or Massapequa on the island in New York. 
the tools that are available to you today are remarkable and incredibly cheap. So if you can do those things, if you can write your own screenplay or your own teleplay or your own pilot, if you're able to write, write. If you're not really gifted at that, who do you know is? Who have you searched out, which is really gifted? How can you get together? So in a way, it's like before any of us were born, actors, star actors in the theater were actor managers. So when Eleanor Dusa starred in a play and took it on tour across the United States, and she did, she wasn't just an actress in it. She was the boss. She raised the money. She hired the actors. She fired the actors. She booked the venues they were going to play. Wow. And then we shifted into the 50s to the star system where actors were appendages of these companies that ruled them. But now we can go back to more self-reliance. So if you can't do the specific things necessary in addition to your acting, then you can certainly bring people into it out of your community, out of the school you went to, out of the neighborhood playhouse in your area. There are gifted people all over and amalgamate with them and create it. So then you can make a filmed experience like a, uh, a short or a pilot for a series or even a whole series. I'm, today you can make a six episode television series that looks as good as something that's on a broadcast network for way under $100,000. Wow. Now, that might sound like a lot of money, but it really isn't. If you want to get it done, you usually can find ways to raise that kind of money. And if you can't raise that kind of money, you can raise less and still get it done. And today there's remarkable software available that I think you're aware of them. There's a program called the Unreal Engine that Epic Games makes. And this Unreal Engine allows you to basically create any environment in the universe, let alone the world, and make it look like you're there and make it look like you're in the middle of Paris by the Eiffel Tower. So there's no, there's no limit to what imagination you can create if you make yourself conversant with the software that's available. And then the ability to distribute today is endless. I mean, for example, if you're a kid who's decided I'm going to make six episodes of a television series, you can start building community around that shop. Let people know you're doing it. Let them even watch the shooting, watch the script changes, be involved in the, see what ha is going on with the casting process, then see what's going on with production. You can communicate with them back and forth and engage them. And as you do that engagement, those numbers will grow. So by the time you're ready to push the button, whether it's on YouTube or your own webpage or Spotify or all of the above, you will already have built a community of people. So if that community of people is allowed an exclusive look for a day or two or a week for a reasonable price, many of them will say yes. So if an episode for the sake of argument costs 12,000 to make and you follow the prescription I just laid out and you charge for one, for one week of advanced watching of say $20 and you have 
a hundred thousand people see it, you'd be making what two million dollars? Would that be the gross of that? Wow. Am I right in my math? Yeah. So, uh, and then of course you can let it go further and further, and 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 then what happens? Which is the amazing thing about the the gifts that artists have today, is people will see it. People will see it at NBC. They'll see it at YouTube. They'll see it at Netflix. And you'll start getting phone calls. I mean, presuming it's really great, but we all set out to make something great. And if you have achieved that, you will start getting invitations to sell that series to that distributor or something else you may want to do. So this is like, What's available today is brilliant in that you don't have to ask permission to do it. Yeah. And the gifts are there. The tools are there. I mean, you could shoot a movie on an iPhone, but you can get a, my daughter shot a series for uh, here TV, a six episode series that she spent a hundred thousand dollars on the studio provided the money, which is like not much. And this is like 10 years ago. And she shot it all on a handheld Sony, I forget the number, Sony camera, good one. It cost a couple grand then. And the whole thing was shot on that. And if you looked at it, if you went to hear TV and looked at it, it was called uh, uh, Work in Progress. It was, it looked as good as anything I've ever seen. Wow. And this, the tools are better today than they were then. So instead of worrying about why am I not getting a chance or how do I get a chance or who'll buy my script or will an agent sign me up? Will I get the chance to go to an audition? You can do all of those things and make your own product. Oh my gosh. It's, it's so important for, for all of us to hear this. I think sometimes, and actors especially, we get caught in kind of the rote routine of going out on auditions and we yield our power to whoever's going to cast us and just because of how many people are auditioning your chances are incredibly slim and so this is it's such an important reminder that the tools are out there for us to be able to create our own work and tell our own stories that we want to tell totally i mean that's the thing. Artists have been trained over the years to mind their place. It's the agent's job to do this. It's the manager's job to do that. It's your job to, you know, sit quietly while we do the work we do. And then when we tell you, you can go to work. And we go, okay. Well, when I was an actor, there wasn't the choice. I mean, I could do off-Broadway and hope to get discovered, or I could get in a play in New York and hope get this cup, but there's a lot of may I and pleases to get there. And I got lucky. But today, you don't have to wait for that. You don't have to give over, as you say, your power. In fact, it's key. Keep your power. From day one, keep your power. Don't do movies you don't believe in. Don't do TV shows you don't believe in. Do stuff you care about. Do stuff you can invest your passion in, whether you're making it or somebody else is making it. And that doesn't mean say no for the sake of saying no, because work breeds work. There's no question about it. But the things you do inform us of who you are as an artist, and they matter from the first day.
So work with agents and managers and producers by all means, but don't become unempowered to seek your own fortune. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh that's so important. And, and Chris, this actually transitions us nicely to another uh, topic of conversation I wanted to dive into with you is the future of this industry. I know something in our prior conversation, we were talking a good deal about kind of where the entertainment industry is going, how it's changing, how it's evolving. I wonder in just, I guess, a, a broad sense, if you could share with our listeners, just based on your years working in the industry, how do you see things changing, evolving, growing from what they have been? And maybe how much are they changing within the last 20, 10, five years even? Oh, well, show business has always been driven by technology. Um, you know, the printing press allowed people to have a play on paper. Technology. Nickelodeons allowed people to see moving pictures in 1905. And radio allowed people to hear War of the Worlds from Orson Welles. And then TV allowed us to watch Bonanza in color, too, and so on. And then movies, we could see Cinemascope and be enveloped in these images. And so watch the technology because the technology is going to inform where we're going to go. And we're changing. I mean, look at what streaming has done in the last five years. I mean, they've rendered DVDs almost pointless, right? Yeah. Nobody's making money off DVDs anymore. Well, Netflix spent $14 billion for streaming content last year. $14 billion. So I think the the industry is going to be driven by all sorts of changes that are going to be happening. And um, one of the changes that are going to be coming up over the next years in a big way is, of course, AI, which is already there, and it's going to get much bigger, and we can talk about that. And beyond that, we're going to be moving into something that used to be called telepresence. I think they've changed the name of it. When an entire environment is created, like a whole city could be telepresenced, so that you could be communicating as if you're absolutely in the same room, looking like you're both corporeal, although you're maybe thousands of miles away. So Amazing. what's going to happen to the entertainment industry when you can stick people on the chariot in Ben-Hur next to the artist who's in the, the chariot with you going around the Colosseum in a telepresence environment? So we're, we're going to see pretty remarkable changes as we go on. It's exciting. It is. It's, it really is incredible to think about it. You make a really good point that if you want to see where the entertainment industry is going, look at how technology is evolving. Because at, at least in my opinion, the two are so intertwined together and you you really listed out like a lot of you know kind of the evolutions of things and i don't think that pattern is going anywhere things are going to continue to evolve based on the technology that's coming out oh there's no question that uh, 
we don't know in the next 20, 50 years what's going to be available. The only thing we know is nothing is immutable. The only thing that's certain is there will be change. I mean, the changes we're going through now that are informing the labor conflict today is about technology, is about how does AI play or not play, or how does it play a role in the media business? How do you employ people who you don't have to send on location? Do you need them for 12 weeks? Or can you just punch something up on an LED wall, use the Unreal Engine, and shoot all their scenes in a week and a half? So what does that do to the pay structure? Also, the methods of distribution are, are getting so much better. You know, my wife says, my wife Annie Shadeen, who was the female lead on ALF, she played Kate Tanner. Oh, wow. So she's, yeah. she's, she knows about show business as well as anybody. She, she would say things like, um, watching the changes that are taking place are the most exciting things she's ever seen. And um, it's true. It's, it's watch the changes. But I would do more than watch them. I'd study them. I'd read them. I'd understand what's going on. I, I'd begin to understand where they're going. I mean, these things are written about. This is not guesswork. Not that long or two years ago, we knew that Microsoft bought a company to put AI in their, their browser called Bing, which is now available. So we knew that was going to happen. That wasn't a mystery. So if you widen your scope of curiosity to include technological changes that are going to impact on, on you and us, you're going to be ahead of the game. And then you can program for that. You can write for that change. So predicting the future, I don't know that I can predict the future except to say that the opportunities for artists are growing, not diminishing. And the ability to reach an audience is growing, not diminishing. It's just the definition has to change a little bit. If you can make programming and stay at home and make a good living and raise your family, do you need to go to LA? Kyla Perry didn't think so. He did it in Atlanta where he lived. Right. So, and do you need to make 20 million a year to be happy? Or if you make 275,000 uh, in, um, in small town America, is that a good way to make a living? Well, to me, that would be a definition of success, not failure. If your only goal is to be the biggest star in the world, actor or writer or director, then your chances of being upset are high. But if your goal is to create, if your goal is to enjoy the creative process, reach an audience so that you can be self-sustaining, those goals are meetable and are getting easier to, to achieve as time goes on. Near term, I'm not talking 20 years from now. Oh my gosh. Chris, this is, is such an important reminder and... I, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to join us on the show. Our actors are going to have this opportunity to walk away with so much knowledge through this conversation that we've had today. And I can't thank you enough, not only for joining me on the show, but just your your insight and your wisdom with regards to the industry. You've been working in the entertainment industry for many years and just through 
your experience and your stories, we, myself and our listeners, get to retain that wisdom and and hopefully, you know, take it with us in our own pursuits and careers. So I, I can't thank you enough for, for joining me on the show today. Before we sign off, if you could just share with our listeners any parting words of advice that you might have. I think that uh, following your, bri- your bliss is a phrase everybody hears at, at their uh, graduation ceremonies. And I think you should follow your dreams. Uh, you know, I think the things that urge you to do something are the things you should follow, which to me is different than bliss. I mean, bliss could be happy running a lemonade stand. I think if you're drawn to show business and you have a dream, then you should persist in that dream while you pay your bills, while you, I mean, when I was an actor between jobs, I tended bar. And so never go without the resources to take care of yourself and your family. But don't say to yourself, God, my dreams, I can't win. I can't succeed. I can't get anyone to read my screenplay. I can't get anyone to to come see my play. Persist and dream. Take care of the people you love. Oh, that's a great way to, to send off our listeners with. So, Chris, thank you so much again. My pleasure, sir. Thanks for the invite. I want to thank all of you from the bottom of my heart for listening into Actorcast. A big reason why I have continued to make episodes for this show is because of our active listener base. I hope that you have enjoyed this season and that you have learned a lot with every guest that we've brought on from each week. I encourage you to look up these artists. They have amazing work that they're doing. Their insights and advice are truly remarkable and profound. They have helped me a lot in my career, and I am sure that they will do the same for you. So while you are waiting for the next part, the next season of ActorCast to come out, I highly recommend checking out the work of the artists, the guests that we've had on the show, as well as going back and listening to some of our older episodes as well. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out and create.